To understand the life of Jesus, I must first give you some background history. News of events that occurred when Herod ruled Judea for the Roman Empire. Zacharias was serving as a priest in the temple in Jerusalem in those days, as his fathers had before him. He was a member of the priestly division of Abijah, a grandson of Aaron who innovated temple practices, and his wife Elizabeth was of the priestly lineage of Aaron, Moses' brother. They were good and just people in God's sight, walking with integrity in the Lord's ways and laws. Yet they had this sadness Due to Elizabeth's infertility, they were childless, and at this time, they were both quite old, well past normal childbearing years. One day, Zacharias was chosen to perform his priestly duties in God's presence, according to the temple's normal schedule and routine. He had been selected from all the priests by the customary procedure of casting lots for a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to enter the sacred precincts of the temple. There, he burned sweet incense, while outside a large crowd of people prayed. Suddenly, Zacharias realized he was not alone. A messenger of the Lord was there with him. The messenger stood just to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was shocked and afraid, but the messenger reassured him. Zacharias, calm down. Don't be afraid. Zacharias, your prayers have been heard. Your wife is going to have a son, and you will name him John. He will bring you great joy and happiness, and many will share your joy at John's birth. This son of yours will be a great man in God's sight. He will not drink alcohol in any form. Instead of alcoholic spirits, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from the time he is in his mother's womb. Here is his mission. He will turn many of the children of Israel around to follow the path to the Lord their God. You remember the prophecy about someone to come in the spirit and power of the prophet Elijah? Someone who will turn the hearts of the parents back to their children. Someone who will turn the hearts of the disobedient to the mindset of the just and good. Your son is the one who will fulfill this prophecy. He will be the Lord's forerunner, the one who will prepare the people and make them ready for God. How can I be sure of what you're telling me? I'm an old man, and my wife is, well, beyond the age that women normally bear children. This is hard to believe. Zacharias, I am Gabriel, the messenger who inhabits God's presence. I was sent here to talk with you and bring this good news. But because you didn't believe my message, but, you will not but, be able to talk. Not another word until you experience the fulfillment of my prophecy. Meanwhile, the crowd at the temple wondered why Zacharias hadn't come out of the sanctuary yet. It wasn't normal for the priest to be delayed so long. When at last he came out, he was making signs with his hands to give the blessing, but he couldn't speak. They realized he had seen some sort of vision. When his time on duty at the temple came to an end, he went back home to his wife. Shortly after his return, Elizabeth became pregnant. She avoided public contact for the next five months. I have lived with the disgrace of being barren for all these years. Now God has looked upon me with favor. When I go out in public with my baby, I will not be disgraced any longer. 
When the time was right, Elizabeth gave birth to a son. News about the Lord's special kindness to her had spread through her extended family and the community. Everyone shared her joy, for after all these years of infertility, she had a son. As was customary eight days after the baby's birth, the time came for his circumcision and naming. Everyone assumed he would be named Zacharias, like his father. No, we will name him John. The crowd protested. That name is found nowhere in your family, Zacharias. What do you want the, na the baby's name to be? He motioned for a tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. Everyone was shocked by this breach of family custom. They were even more surprised when at that moment, Zacharias was able to talk again, and he shouted out praises to God. A sense of reverence spread through the whole community. In fact, this story was spread throughout the hilly countryside of Judea. People were certain that God's hand was on this child, and they wondered what sort of person John would turn out to be when he became a man. When Zacharias's voice was restored to him, he sang from the fullness of the Spirit a prophetic blessing. pray. Grant that our witness in word and deed might always point to Jesus as the Christ. Hold me up, God, that I might lift you up. Amen. Last week on my husband's birthday, James, he officially resigned from Facebook. Yeah. He said adios to his friends and he closed his account. He'd just grown tired of it. I get that. My own use of Facebook is primarily limited to the occasional posting of a picture celebrating some fun that I'm having with my family or my friends. Once in a while, I will share something that a United Methodist bishop or pastor has posted usually in response to some sort of event that has currently happened in our, in our society. For the most part, I use Facebook to promote what's going on at this church. I'm not really the sort that shares my every thought and feeling or engages in heated debate on social media. I also have an Instagram and a Twitter account, though I rarely use them. 
I'm sure there are many of you here in this room who have never been on any social media of any sort. Still, it's likely that you know what a tweet is. High-profile tweets are talked about in the news almost every single day. On Twitter, each post is limited to a certain number of characters, only 280 characters. So you're forced to be very concise when you speak on this particular social media. And that limit was just recently doubled from 140 characters. So people have found very creative ways to abbreviate words. And they often just leave some things out entirely, like punctuation and civility. <laughs> there are those whose use of social media almost always stirs up trouble. Those who have practically weaponized the media. I mean, they launch these Twitter bombs, these pithy little messages that often incite anger or fear or cause divisiveness between individuals or groups of people. It can be exhausting. I sometimes get very tired of it. It's also grown kind of difficult to trust the messages we see on, on social media. I mean, anybody can post almost anything they want. There's no required fact-checking. We know now that Russia has leveraged Facebook, Google, and Twitter to manipulate the public and interfere in our political processes here in the United States and in other nations. It's hard not to be overwhelmed by the messages that are out there, and it's grown very difficult to believe what we hear. Zacharias, your prayers have been answered. You and Elizabeth will conceive a son in your old age, and he is the one who will prepare the way and make the people ready for God. That's 184 characters. Almost fits within the old limits and is well within the new limits of Twitter. What a message that is. I mean, it's the greatest possible news that Zacharias and Elizabeth could hear. For years and years they have prayed for a child to no avail. And now they're old, Elizabeth well beyond childbearing years. The chances of conceiving at this point for the two of them is slim to none. It's very likely that they have resigned themselves to the harsh reality of never having a child of their own of not having a namesake or a caretaker in their old age, I imagine they had lost hope. Zacharias finds it impossible to hide his cynicism as he blurts out to the angel Gabriel, this is hard to believe. It's not possible, Zacharias continues, I'm old. His skepticism is understandable. I mean, it's true. What he says is true. They are beyond the age of bearing children. They'd likely heard that message more times than they cared to even remember. And in even more hushed tones, it's possible they'd heard whispers of messages that others shared wondering, I wonder what sin they've committed. It must be pretty juicy for God to have judged them so harshly. That's what a lot of people believed, that barrenness was a punishment from God. Their despair must have been deep. God, why have you disgraced us? 
They'd grown so used to bad news, I can see how it would have been difficult for them to believe good news, especially news this good. It's pretty hard to believe. As Zacharias performs his priestly duty in the inner temple and burns the incense for God, a crowd of people worship in the outer temple, praying. Praying for all sorts of things, I suppose, you know, like we do. Many of these prayers, I imagine, they'd prayed for long periods of time, just like Elizabeth and Zacharias, prayers for their children, prayers for their parents, for their spouses, prayers for their health, their work, prayers for justice. Chief among their prayers, I imagine, would have been for independence from the Roman occupiers, from their vassal king, Herod. By most accounts, he was a harsh ruler. Then there were those who governed them who delivered messages, messages meant to control them, meant to oppress them, messages that compelled them to pay taxes to a foreign nation, to follow foreign laws, laws that many times caused them to violate their own religious practices that required them to do things that made them ritually unclean. They must have prayed for deliverance and freedom, for restoration as a sovereign nation that could, that could live by the laws of righteousness and mercy that God had given them. For years and years, they'd prayed to no avail. I wonder if they despaired. Why is this happening? When will you act, God? Will you act? Even the very faithful can lose hope, especially when they are overwhelmed by disappointing circumstances and discouraging messages. They had prayed and they waited outside the temple for the blessing that Zacharias would deliver following the burning of incense. I wonder if they found it increasingly difficult to believe the words of grace that the priest shared. It can be hard to believe. I'm Gabriel, the angel says, as if that settles it. I mean, that's how the angel responds to Zacharias when he says, this is hard to believe, I'm old. Until the angel elaborates and says, I am Gabriel, I inhabit the presence of God. And God sent me to tell you this good news. Gabriel's news is trustworthy because he inhabits God's presence. That's where he dwells. That's where he lives and breathes. Some translations say he stands in God's presence, in the presence of God. That is where he is somehow nourished and sustained. But the angel is. It's, the, it's, what, it's God's presence that shapes him, that informs him. His knowledge and his being emerge from the presence in which he resides. He's steeped in God. And therefore, his is a message that is not only good, but it's true. We can trust it. Do not be afraid, Zacharias. Those are the very first words that Gabriel speaks. 27 characters. 
He would have been a Twitter ninja. These are the first words that most angel, angels speak. First, I imagine, so that people don't run screaming from the room before they get a chance to speak their message, but also to say, God is about to do something in your life, something that is going to change your life forever. But you don't need to be afraid. Zacharias and Elizabeth are to receive a great blessing from God, the blessing of a very special son. Your son is the one who will fulfill this prophecy. He will be the Lord's forerunner, the one who will prepare the people and make them ready for God. They receive this message of hope about a son that they will conceive and bear who will be the messenger of the one who is the hope of the world. Our world needs messages of hope. Our world needs to be reminded of the one who is our greatest hope. Martin Luther King Jr. said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. Dr. King was a messenger of hope. He reminded a people who had been overwhelmed with messages of hate and oppression, who had been exposed to a lifetime of disappointments and messages meant to incite fear. He reminded these people of the one who is our infinite hope. The one we anticipate once again during this season of Advent, the one for whom we are being made ready even as we prepare. At my house, our Christmas tree is up. It's decorated. Lights have been strung throughout the house. There's stuff flashing on the side of our house. We've even bought a lot of the gifts that we plan to give this year, which is a miracle in my family. But it's the preparation of our hearts that matters the most. Though I don't share my every thought and feeling or engage in heated debate on social media, I do read some of the thoughts and feelings of others who post, and I do read through some of the debate that happens in those medium. And when something significant happens in the world, I often find myself wishing that I had some sage words, some deep meaningful public statement that I could offer that would be helpful to the public debate that might somehow calm the waters, that might somehow contribute to the solution of some of the challenges and problems that we face. And I wish I had the courage to post them if they came to me. But during this season, during this time, during this worship series, Angels Among Us, I wonder, could I be a messenger of hope somehow? I hope that during this season of Advent, I will notice the angels among us. I hope that I notice the ones who bring messages of hope to the world. Hope to a world that is increasingly cynical and fearful. And there are messengers of hope. It is not all bad news. And I hope that I become one of those messengers, one of the ones who brings good news. I want to be an angel among us.
So I imagine I will be spending a lot more time inhabiting God's presence during this season. I will spend more time in prayer, in meditation, in worship. I will spend more time reading scripture and praising and giving thanks to God, more time in service to others. All the means we have that draw us into God's presence. We are called to be messengers of good news in both word and deed. And there are so many ways in which we can speak hope into this world through our actions. A lot of us began last week with our season of giving, which continues throughout the season. There are so many opportunities for us to give of ourselves. Next week, we have a couple of deadlines. We're looking for coats for kids, Christmas cards and postage for incarcerated women, and monetary donations for Cup of Joe, which is an organization that provides coffee for military chaplains so they can create an inviting environment for those serving abroad to come and talk, to share their hearts. We can spread hope to children who might otherwise be cold, and to women who are missing their family and their friends during this Christmas season, and to men and women who are homesick around the world serving on our behalf. I invite you to participate in that. Will you inhabit the presence of God? Will you allow yourselves to be made ready to deliver messages of hope, messages that this world desperately needs. Will you become an angel among us? I do believe there are angels among us. I believe God is making us ready to be messengers of hope, flying in the face of fear in an ever-changing, more divisive world. As you came in today, every family received a feather. If you didn't receive one, make sure to get one on your way out. During the season of Advent, I invite you to place that feather somewhere where your family gathers. Maybe place it on your Christmas tree or by your Advent candle wreath. If you live alone, place it by your telephone to remind you to call a friend or a family member at the end of the day to talk about where in your day you experienced an angel or where you received a message of hope, and also to share how you were able to be an angel for someone else. I invite us all to inhabit the presence of God during this season of Advent as we wait and anticipate and prepare for the coming of the one who is the hope of the world. Amen.